We're in, I think, this unbelievable sermon series in Colossians. Raised with Christ. That we get to be raised with Christ. God incarnate. You probably heard uh, Mark last week. If you haven't and you're online, please ignore this sermon. Go and listen to that one. Because it's the hinge um, section of the whole book of Colossians. That Jesus is the one who is above all. He is preeminent. He is amazing. He is so much bigger and more amazing and more wonderful than we could ever fathom. In a month of Sundays, a lifetime of Sundays. I don't know, an eternity, if Sundays exist in eternity, of Sundays. And he is drawing us up into him. Today's sermon we've called Legally Dead. Legally Dead, Raised with Christ. Now, there's a very big wormhole online. You can dive down and you will never come out of it to do with people who are legally dead. All the tragic cases like folks who are you know, in comas. But then also these folks who were stuck in this, I want to call it a bureaucratic hell, where they are declared dead, but actually they're not dead. I know, crazy. There's this guy in Ohio who, uh, actually a bit of a rotter, left his family, left him with a whole bunch of debt, wife and kiddos, and ran off. Ten years later, they said, can't find him, you know, declare him dead so they could access social security. Then another ten years later, he rocks up and he wants to get a driver's license and he eventually appears before a judge and the judge says, well, sorry, buddy, but you're dead. And he's like, but I'm right here, judge. And he goes, yeah, I know, but, and in Ohio, evidently, there's no way to be undead. So this guy is just, he's a walking corpse, you know, and, and uh, I thought maybe his wife wants to go and knock him off because you can't kill a dead person, right? Or she'd be probably, you know, for mutilating a corpse. I don't know. Anyway, I digress. Not the point. The point is that we can be alive and dead at the same point, in the same moment. And if we are alive in Christ and yet go back to our old ways of living according to law, then we're legally dead. I'm going to pick up the scripture here. If you want to open with us, it'll be up on the screen as well. And um, we're in Colossians. If you're new to the church thing, it's in the New Testament, like all the stuff after Jesus. It's a letter written by a guy called Paul to a church in a place called Colossae, modern-day Turkey. We're going to pick it up here in uh, chapter 2, so big 2, little 16. Let's read it then. Let's get into it together. And, And as we do, I just want to say... I think the Bible as a whole, and perhaps Paul in particular, is what I would call an equal opportunity offender. Right? I don't think there's going to be any of us who are going to be able to walk out those doors without being offended in some way by these words. And if you're offended by me, don't worry about it. Just blow it off. It's of no consequence. But if you're offended by the word of God, friends, you may not see this, this, but that's actually a gift. That's a gift from him who loves us and cares for us, and wants to move us forward. So let's keep a sweet spirit and uh, see where we go. Verse 16, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are, listen to this, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person goes into great detail about what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head. 
from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belonged to the world, do you submit to its rules? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Uh, God, we come to your word, we come so humbly, asking that it would um, test us, approve us, that it would stricken us, convict us where we need. Um, Lord, it doesn't seem like this passage is very difficult to understand. It does, I have a sense, uh, seem very difficult to apply. So we're asking that your Holy Spirit would come, asking for subtle hearts, that you would reduce me, magnify you. You're the one we've come to hear from. We want to be in this wonderful relationship with you where you love us so much that you accept us as we are and you love us so much you take us to new places. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few years ago, I was with this mate of mine. Let's call this hypothetical friend Tony. So this hypothetical friend Tony and I were sitting there watching football. He's kind of a football fanatic, football fetish, I'd say, like full on. And uh, he'd watch two or three games a weekend, which is actually a serious time commitment, apart from anything else. I mean, who has that kind of time, right? But we're there watching the football, and there was a call against his team, and he's like, wow, what are you doing? He's shouting at the screen, because that really helps the umpire on the other side, you know. And he sits down, and this moment silence, and he goes, that was a little crazy. I'm like, yeah, a little bit. And he's like, what are you thinking right now? I'm like, dude, I don't know. Like, here's the thing. If you were like crazy passionate about Jesus and crazy passionate about football, there'd be like a parity to it. But it's like a dissonance, you know. You know, we were talking, we're good mates. He's a dear friend still, this hypothetical person called Tony. <laughs> He's probably watching. He's in Australia, right? But anyway, later that week he catches up with me he goes Nico remember we talked about that thing and I'm like oh I'd almost forgotten because it wasn't as important for me because God was working on him that's how the spirit works right he says dude I've decided to give up football for the whole year I'm not going to watch another game I'm like really and so you know he didn't I mean he, he lived up to it and he didn't do it and and uh, we didn't talk about it because I don't want to be the one to tempt him and all that sort of stuff you know and and uh, so here's the thing here's my simple point is football sinful? No. Some of you are thinking, yep. Some of you are thinking, I don't know. Like, the answer is no. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, well, but it's not even football, because really soccer is football, and Liverpool beat Chelsea last night in the you know, final. You know, I get it, but you understand what I'm saying. It's not in and of itself. And so, so there's some things which are just rotten, no good, very bad, and gnarly. Porn. Pedophilia, some things like that. There's some things that are just good. Like they're just wonderful and they're just amazing, radical acts of kindness and mercy and grace. Most stuff's in the middle, right? Not in and of itself a bad thing, but it can be. That's what we're going to be dealing with today. We're going to be dealing with a lot of that stuff. 
And I hope I'm wrong, but I think that some of the stuff is going to get under our skin. You notice verse 16, it begins, Therefore, hang on a second, sorry to go on and on about it, but when therefore appears in the word of God, you've got to wonder what the therefore is there for. It's an arrow pointing upwards to what came before, right? And what came before? Well, you heard from Mark last week that Jesus is amazing. He's this amazing guy. We have spiritual fullness in Christ, and he's the one, listen to this, that whom God has used to make known all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's the one, in verse 9, in Christ, the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. He's this amazing one. He's this wonderful one. And, And here we go in verse 14 or verse 13 in a bit. He, Jesus, forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Friends, can I have the thing up on uh, about uh, atonement? So there's these flashy theological terms. But don't worry about it. They're actually pretty simple. Like any good theology, which is just knowledge of God, it's pretty simple. Okay. So this is talking about God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. On the cross, he didn't just take our punishment. He took the sin itself so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, the great exchange. It's amazing news. He gets our sin. We get his righteousness. Deal of the infinity. It's amazing, right? That's what's called substitutionary atonement, right? That he took our sin. Now, atonement, it's a flashy theological term, but really it just means at one meant. We are now made one with God through the work of Christ. At one meant. That's how to remember it, right? In theology, there's two main sort of ways that we can approach things, right? There's what they call biblical theology and systematic theology. They're both wonderful. They're both great. We need them all, right? Biblical theology, best way to think of it is like Bible in chunks, like a book or a section or, or maybe like the writings of Paul or something like that. Systematic theology, equally great, is looking at things by topic. So like, I don't know, the Holy Spirit or sin or something like that. You see what I mean? So, there, so in systematic theology, there's a thing called soteriology, which sounds flash, but it's really just how can we be saved? Then there's atonement theology and substitutionary atonement is a part of that. You with me? It's very simple, right? Okay. So here's the thing. This is talking about substitutionary atonement. This is how I came to know and love and follow Jesus when I was nine years old. Mum and dad, disastrous marriage, on the way to divorce, separated, secular humanists, the whole disaster. Dad, radically king, hit by Jesus, comes back to mum, asked her to take him back. She's like, no way, Jose. Eventually she gives in, takes him back. And I could see the difference in their lives. When I was nine years old, I heard this message. Jesus has taken my sin. He has given me his righteousness. I say yes to that. And I receive Jesus as my Lord. But that's not the end of theology. You notice verse 15, it goes on and it says, and this is Jesus, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, okay, that's that's like the spiritual forces of evil. He disarmed them and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You notice that? Here's the thing. Atonement theology, they call it the many-sided jewel of theology. There's at least 
a half dozen, maybe more, different beautiful aspects to it. My wife, who came to the Lord, she came to the Lord out of a lot of darkness and crazy stuff. Like, And by herself one day, no Christians about, she realized two things. She was toast, that these dark forces of evil were against her, and Jesus was kind and powerful. And she cried out to Jesus. She didn't understand the whole substitutionary atonement thing. All she knew is Jesus was victorious. Christos victor. Christ is victorious over sin and death. My, there's, there's many more aspects to atonement theology, and they're pretty amazing. But my point is this. It's bigger than you thought. It's more amazing than you thought. You could dwell on this for a month. You would not even be just listing all the things out that you've got to think about. And each one is going to take a century or two to think about. Jesus is more amazing. He is preeminent. He is the one who came. The Lord himself came in the flesh. Mark was saying last week, in carne asada. He came and he's even better than carne asada. I know that's saying something. He is so much more amazing. He came and he loves us, therefore. Don't you understand? He's the Lord Most High. He came from infinity. He's going to live for infinity. He's drawing us up into himself. He's taken our sin and our death. He's victorious over Satan. He's victorious over all these gnarly things brought against us. Therefore, therefore what? Some of you are going, so what? Glad you asked. Therefore, here it is. Don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. Can I have that gavel up on screen? Thanks, guys, in the booth. You're awesome. Don't let anyone judge. How can, how can I stop someone from judging me? Right? If I've got a little Nintendo thing and I direct them. Actually, us parents do for our teenagers. It's this new technology. It's amazing. If you want to see me, come up after and we'll talk about it. But most of the time, I can't direct or manipulate somebody else. If you're a teenager in the audience, these are not the droids you were looking for. <laughs> okay, but how can I, it's, it, it doesn't make sense. In Romans 14, Paul writing, he, he says, don't let anyone speak of evil, that which you think is good. For the kingdom of God isn't a matter of eating or drinking. It's a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So he says, don't let anyone speak against it. I guess we can do that. But how can I stop them judging me? I think what the apostle here is getting at is that we jump at shadows. We change our actions based on the either real or perceived understanding of how somebody else is going to judge us. Now, maybe you have advanced beyond that level of social interaction, but most of us, most of the time, do that. It's a spirit of religiosity. In fact, this week I was talking to Ryan and Willie about it. And I'm like, guys, there's things that are going to come up in this passage that are going to be really hard to hear. We haven't even got to them yet, by the way. If you're just waiting to be offended, oh, just wait. Yeah, okay. But I said, oh, I don't know. And they're like, hey, Nick, you've got to talk about it. Okay, don't, because someone's going to be offended or someone's going to be hurt or whatever, or they've got this special belief in a certain thing or whatever, don't jump at shadows, be real. Be kind. We're going to talk about that. But don't let them judge you. Don't give in to the perceived or real judgments. And what are the things that the guys in Colossae were dealing with? Well, here it lists some of them. 
what you eat or drink or with regard to a, regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, a Sabbath day, and, and so on. And by the way, tonight there's going to be a blood moon, right? If you want to look at it at night, it's going to be amazing. But like these guys, they, the, the Jews, they live to a rhythm, right? A, a, a weekly rhythm where you'd have Sabbath, Friday sundown to Saturday sundown of just rest. And, and then they'd have a monthly rhythm when the, the, the new moon came about. That was the, the beginning of the month. They'd have an extra Sabbath. Try that one out with your boss. Hey, there's a new moon. Can I have a, you know? Um, and then they'd have the yearly feast and they'd have this yearly rhythm where they'd have rest and so on and so forth. They also had very specific rules about what they should eat, what they should drink, how they should do it. Uh, you know, uh, tattoos against that, Leviticus 19, like growing the tassels of your hair. There's a whole bunch of things. Uh, so said 613 rules in the Old Testament, different, different specific rules, right? Here he says, there's all these rules and you guys need to watch out. Beware of it. Now, can I have a photo up on screen of the four different mugs? Um, so in modern day Christianity, I think that we sup from four different cups, maybe more than that, but they're actually poison. I mean, it looks like cocoa. It's got little marshmallows floating around in it. Other people are drinking it. Why shouldn't I? It's going to be poison. And I've simplified this and kind of made a bit of a joke of us because, hey, let's laugh about ourselves. The whole world is laughing at us. We should join in. It shows, you know, good character, right? And there's the whatevs, there's the legalists, there's the holy molies, and there's the freebies. The whatevs. Let's talk about the whatevs. How do we deal with these rules of the law and understanding uh, our role as followers of Jesus? Can I have that photo up that says coexist, you know, like the bump, bumper sticker? You've seen that, right? You know what I'm talking about. And I love this. I was talking out the back with one of our folks. This is wonderfully motivated. I totally dig the motivation in this because, frankly, Christians are pretty argumentative, religious types, but so are all other religions, and they all sit around and boss each other about and try and do that. And, and, and to be fair, there is some overlap. Did you know that? Between the world's major religions. You know the golden rule? Don't do to others what you would have them not do to you. Jesus, of course, turns it in the positive, which is a little more exacting. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But there are some similarities. But friends, and please forgive me if I'm offending you, but on the basis of the word of God, there's an extent to which they, they cannot mesh. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amen. Jesus said that. It's an exclusive claim, right? And if that's a new word for you and you're thinking, well, whatever, we can do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and, you know, and a little bit of, um, you know, uh, philosophy over here and a little bit of my own personal guru.com over here. It's this whole website set up just for me. It's amazing. And then there's also me and my, you know, spiritual, I've unleashed the awesomeness within so I can have these opinions. And, and friends, I want you to, to know that that is not in accord with what the Bible says. Corollary of that is you can't just do whatever you want. Whatevs, it doesn't work. Try it on the freeway sometime. I mean, try it in a game of rugby. Knock yourself out. In fact, you will knock yourself out. It's not going to go well for you. There's, you know, okay. So, so that's one way that we deal with this. And it's, it's just a it's a 
Cocoa with poison in it. What about the legalists? Can I have a thing that says rules? Okay, this one, I love this one. Some of you guys are like, yeah, baby. Okay, I'm a confessed Pharisee. I'm a lawyer by training. This stuff, this floats my boat. There's this rule, and then there's a sub-rule, and if so, then, and there's an exception here, but there's an exception to the exception, and by the time now, I'm a little Roman numeral 27, right? <laughs> this is awesome. There's these rules, and it governs things, and whatever, and, and we get gnarly about it, and, and so on, and so forth, and some of you guys suffer from that as well. This is my one, I confess, okay? I'm telling you as a church, watch out. Then there's the holy molies. And these guys are like, they've been in the darkness and this bright light has shone in. And they're kind of like cousin to legalists, right? Um, but they're like, oh, Jesus is amazing. I was just, I was in the gutter and he drew me out and oh, it's mind boggling and he's just so wonderful and I've given up alcohol and I've given up sleeping. I'm just praying from 11 until four in the morning when I get up and do 27 hours work and you've got to try this new diet. It's amazing. It's fully holifying. It's, uh, it's amazing. It's a, a vegan diet. It's actually a pescatorian diet. Actually, it's a Cro-Magnon diet where you just bite an animal that's walking past and it's amazing. And, um, and you know, no, 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 no. It's green tea. It's pond scum and it's bananas it's you're gonna and they become very emphatic right and i mean hey hey it's better than legalists because we're we're motivated by pride we're pretty dreadful these guys at least are motivated by love but they become prescriptive in how you've got to live no smoking no alcohol none of this none of like can't watch harry potter can't do yoga can't do this can't do that there's all these things that come about it hey at least they're, they're trying to be kind they're saying oh, i found this amazing thing it's amazing i'm a holy moly you know what i'm talking about that person you're thinking about him right now <laughs> lastly the freebies now these guys my heart breaks for you because you grew up in a constrained cloistered kind of situation your parents were probably legalists or your school or your church. I talked with a young guy after first service. He, he said, that was me, dude. I grew up in a cult. And he was talking about all these rules and sub-rules. And, but now, guess what? You don't live with your parents anymore. Guess what? You don't go to school anymore. You're not even part of that church anymore. It's amazing. You're like a bird released. You can do whatever the heck you like. You can light up that big cigar whilst you're guzzling bourbon, whilst you're driving one-handed down the freeway with your girlfriends on the back of your motorbike. It's amazing right and it's just it's just another kind of poison what does it mean to really follow jesus what would it look like if you really followed jesus these things verse 17 these all these rules they were a shadow of the things that were to come can i have that photo of the wall with the cross on it thank you friends they're a shadow, you notice the tense, of the things that were to come. So they've come. What, did, what was it? It was Jesus. His life, his atoning death, his victorious resurrection, the infilling of the Spirit. These things have come because the reality is found in Christ. He is more real. He is more amazing. He is more exacting. We're going to get to that. But he's more freeing. And you know how I know? Bacon. That's how I know. Now, some of you are vegan 
and you just want to throw up in your own mouth right now. Don't worry. Hey, it'll be vegan, so don't worry about it. Some of you guys are like seeing that and you just want to run full tilt and dive into the screen. Okay, you're with me. You know what I'm talking about, right? Imagine if you could have bacon that big. Now, <laughs> I've got to not turn around. So, so here's the thing. Under the Old Testament law, you couldn't eat bacon. I want to say it's in, personally, I reckon in the top awesome 20 things about Jesus being raised from the dead. Hey, I'm not saying it's better than freedom from sin and death. I'm not saying it's better than having all that junk taken away. I'm not saying it's better than Jesus' community and wonderful things and that we get to be part of all God's doing around the world, helping Ukraine, helping refugees. There's a lot of things above it, but I tell you what, man, it makes it into the top 20. I could eat, I could eat my own body weight in bacon, then have a siesta, then eat my own body weight in bacon. But it's not really good for me. My wife calls it the Westwood expansion that's going on. <laughs> too little exercise, too much bacon, there's something out of whack here. But the, the point is this, what does it mean the reality is in Christ? What does it mean to really follow him? It means that we are freed from sin, not freed to sin. It means that we are free to love, not free from love. It means our freedom, the liberty that we have, walked out in love. Liberty in love. There's this old theologian called Mool who wrote over 100 years ago. And, uh, and he said, that the liberty that we have has nothing akin to license. Like the freedom we have has nothing akin to do whatever you like. He said, that would be the miserable individualism that says that we can follow the path that we want. He says that St. Paul, because it's, you know, it's 100 years ago, St. Paul calls us to a life that is wider, deeper, and more demanding of a holiness. Besides the fact that those guys wrote better than we did, he's talking about a real truth. It calls us to a holiness. It calls us to go beyond what we think is right. In Paul, when he was writing to the church in, in Corinth... He said everything is beneficial, but not everything... No, what did he say? Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should think of their own good. They should think of the good of others. So, okay, what's constructive? What's beneficial? What's for the good of others? So here's the thing. When I invite a mate around to our place for a barbecue, if they have a background in substance abuse, then I don't offer them a beer. Some of you guys, whoa, that implies that actually a pastor even drinks beer. That's another question for another time. Any complaints <laughs> from today's sermon, please address them to our complaints email, ryan at northcoastcalvary.org, okay? <laughs> um, but or what about this one, though? Because our discussion is too narrow, isn't it? When you think about it, how about this one? Ready to be offended? If we have folks around who are grappling with weight, we don't uh, give them dessert. Oh, that's so mean and awful and whatever. That's the way of love. What about around my mate Tony? I didn't watch football. What about around me? You don't offer me a 17th helping of bacon. 16 is fine. 17 is too much. <laughs> what does it look like? 
to walk in Christian freedom, but to have that walked out in love. Oh my gosh, this is tricky. This is more demanding than we could have thought. Bit of time for some context here. Because remember, when we come to the Word of God, it's a very, um, I don't know what we call it, primitive hermeneutic. It's a very bad way to use a beautiful thing that God has given us to read it and apply it to ourselves. This is revision, right? We've talked about this before. But you, you ascertain meaning, then you ascertain application, right? The meaning of it. What does the text say? What does the context say? What does the whole text say? What are the words and what's the meaning of that? What is the context? What is the, the socio-cultural context that was written to the historical, biblical context? What does the whole text say? What does the whole Bible say about this subject? Okay, next thing, apply it. Apply it to them, those who were first hearing it, and then to the people of God as a whole, and lastly, to me. Don't go from step one to step six. You're going to end up with wonky theology, right? What's going on here? There's this guy called Epaphras. He was a church planter. He planted the church in Colossae. About 10 years before, he'd been in a place called Ephesus. Let's call it 100 miles away or so. He'd heard this guy called Paul preaching in the synagogue. Had his mind blown. Jesus is God in the flesh who came. He died on a cross. He rose again from the dead. He experienced this radical transformation. And he walked back to Colossae and planted a church there and likely some other ones in Laodicea and elsewhere. Fast forward 10 years. There's been some heresy has come into that church. And he writes this letter or perhaps even goes and sees Paul who's 1,200 miles away in Rome. So Colossae is in modern-day Turkey. Rome is in, you know, Rome. It's in, in Italy, same where it is now. So 1,200 miles. Paul hears about this. He hears about this heresy. So he writes three letters. He writes what we call Ephesians in our Bible, what we call Colossians in our Bible, and what we call Philemon, or in America you say Philemon for some reason. But, and that's, it's amazing. And he sends these three letters with this guy called Tychicus and a guy called Onesimus, who is an escaped slave who takes the letter of Philemon back to his old slave owner called Philemon. That's another amazing story for another time, right? But in the letter to the church at Colossae, Paul addresses these specific things. And you notice that there's some gnarly stuff going on, reading between the lines here, that, well, what is it? And he, said, he warns them, don't let anyone who delights in false humility in the worship of angels, um, who uh, goes into great detail about what they've seen, they're puffed up with idle notions in their unspiritual mind, or, or the, the, by the, the values of this world, the fleshly values of this world, and he goes on, and, he, and it looks like he's talking about someone, and most theologians think that he was. There's a thing called the Colossian heresy, right? Where this heresy had crept in, and, and, the, and it's hard because we're reading kind of refracted. We're reverse engineering it about what Paul wrote to address a heresy. So you see it's indirect. But it appears like this stuff had been creeping into the church. It appears... Like there were these influential people who were advocating for things that were contrary to the gospel. And maybe they were some sort of shaman-like figures or a person, we, we don't know. But they're saying things like, you've got to abide by these certain laws thus and so. You've got to do this thing, worshipping angels. 
And we're like, oh, that's so weird. I was in Iraq a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, and there's a religion there that still advocate for that. In fact, some traditions that you grow up in say, well, you've got to pray to an intermediary, either a saint or someone. You can't, and it's really an inverted form of pride because, no, no, you can't talk with, the, with God himself. You've got to talk to the middle guy and he'll decide if it goes upstairs and, and whatever. But, but you notice there's, there's a false humility with it. There's a pride that goes with it. There's all this stuff going on and, and he is speaking against it the best reverse engineering we can say of the Colossian heresy was that it was a mixture of like uh, Jewish mysticism and traditionalism and a thing that was an early form of Gnosticism effectively like a pagan belief that said you've got to do these rules I've got this experience I mean I know you guys are doing a thing but I've gone to a higher plane of knowledge a higher plane of consciousness and I can now speak out of that place. You ought to listen to me. And they're adding to the gospel. And Paul gives his most damning assessment of that. He says, these guys have lost connection with the head. What does that even mean, Nick? What does that mean? Well, you notice in, earlier on in the, in the chapter, it says, he, Jesus, is the head over every power and authority. He's the head over all demonic forces, over all earthly forces, and Jesus is the head of the church. These guys have lost connection with Jesus because they have added to the gospel or they have um, detracted from the gospel. Guys, let's watch out. I give you permission to have a healthy skepticism and doubt, not cynicism or resentment, but a healthy skepticism or doubt from anything that you read Anything that you hear, even from me, even from here on stage, does it accord with the word of God? Does it accord with what you understand to be the gospel? Because if not, you need to bring, as Mark said last week, your doubts against that. But how ought we to do it? Because these guys were grappling with some very real things and it was affecting the life in the community. And it appears some things were Jewish background stuff. Other things were probably pagan beliefs. But they were coming in and it was undermining the gospel. How can we allow that to be the case? Can I have the photo up of the, I want to call it an ostrich head. It might be an emu. Okay. There's a thing that I want to talk about called bird brain syndrome. And, uh, okay, this doesn't just happen thousands of years ago. Oh, no. Sorry for telling you, but it does also happen in our day and age. Folks who are opinionated beyond their level of expertise. Did that just happen way back then? In fact, it's way worse now. There's this thing called the democratization of information, where we all have access now, because of that little thing in your pocket, to all sorts of information. And it's all equally valid. Everything is true. Well, hang on, that doesn't work. A website said that can't be true. So here's, here's the thing. We become experts, we think, in everything. And I've had friends lately who tell me, well, thus and so, and this very crazy opinion that I'm going to tell you, and so on and so forth. I'm like, how, do you, how did you come to that? I've been researching it. And I've just started asking. I've started saying, oh, what reputable institution did you study that at? Or, or at you know, the, the feet of which brilliant person did you learn that? And what they really mean is, I've spent a lot of time online, right? A thousand years ago, it was a lot simpler. If I'd come up with a crazy belief about something, I don't know, I invented gravity. 
okay? You'd be like, Nick, you're an idiot. Like the village idiot syndrome would kick in and there would be a collective corrective where, Nick, you really didn't. But now I go online. There's a whole community of folks. The We Invented Gravity folks. There's a whole community of us. I know you don't think I did, but really, I did. So here's what we need to do, friends. We need to ascertain the truth. We need to have a, a healthy um, skepticism about things. We need to cling fast to the head, which is Christ, because the body that has its head chopped off, it might still be twitching, but friends, it's dead. It's not just legally dead, it's actually dead, to quote from the Princess Bride, right? It's actually dead. So what should we do? How should we do it? We should walk out Christian freedom in love. There's good reasons to do it. Paul says to do it. Jesus clearly did it. Jesus transcended the law. He was the fulfillment of the law. As he's walking with his disciples through the grain fields and they're pulling some grain and the Pharisees, the legalists, like, oh, you can't do that. That's against Roman numeral 26. He says, no, 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 I am Lord of the Sabbath. He heals on the Sabbath and they're really annoyed. You know, well, the law is more important than that. He says, no, 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 mercy is more important than that. Christian freedom walked out in love because it says it and also because legalism doesn't work. How does it end here? And I'd like to invite the band back out here. Um, these things, all these things, the regulations, they look like wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, the, the asceticism that they would have, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. They don't even work. And you'll ping-pong between pride and condemnation. If you want to live legally dead, and it's, all, it's your decision, friends. We get to walk this out, right, with fear and trembling. Friends, you will be one day very prideful, the next day feeling condemned. Oh, I've strung together 73 days of living according to this law. God's pretty frank with us. In Matthew 5.48, he says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Do you want to be made right by the law? Gosh, that's pretty harsh. You want to be made right through Christ to have his freedom, the infilling of the spirit, freedom from sin and death, victor victory over the enemy? Then walk it out in love. So as the band, and they're probably just sipping their lattes back there, as they're about to come out <laughs> in a second here, um, in fact, let's all stand to our feet because we're going to come and end here, and you guys have been sitting for a long time listening to this Aussie yabber away on stage. Please, someone grab a shepherd's hook and take him off stage here. Um, what are, uh, we're going to have a, a chance uh, to sing here, but also I, I felt a sense that there were people who were here today that God has drawn you here. And you don't necessarily even know why. Maybe you come, you, you've come chasing a person of the opposite gender, hoping that they might, you know, you might fall into a dating relationship. I, I don't care. Come, whatever. It's a great reason. We're in church. Hey, it's great. But here's the thing. Today, you've started to wonder, or you've been wondering for a while about this Jesus. This Jesus who says to you, I love you. I love you since before time began and I love you now and I see you 
I see your shortfalls. I see all your failings. I see all the sin you've done. I see all the sin that's been done against you. And I love you. And I'm calling you home. And I'm calling you to be mine. So if we, church family, if we could close our eyes and bow our heads, if that was you, that describes you, you're wondering about Jesus, then I'd love you in your hearts to pray this as we pray it together. I'll pray it out loud, but in your hearts, I want you to pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I am intrigued by you. I'm mystified by you. I have a sense that you are more amazing and more demanding than I ever could have imagined. Yet you are so good. I don't understand everything about you, but I would ask that you would come into my heart, flood my heart, that you would take my sin, that you would give me your righteousness. I want to walk with you and I want to find out what that means. So if you prayed that prayer, I want you to put your hand up and I want you to look at me. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. See that hand out there. See you, ma'am. See you, darling. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I see you, sir. God sees you, friends. I have a sense, actually, that there's someone here who's wavering. You're sitting on the, the fence. And I understand it. I want to dispel any doubts. Yeah, it's going to be way more demanding than your first thought. And it's going to be so much more amazing than you ever could have imagined. Have a sense that there's someone here who, who's wavering and you're wondering whether you should do it. And all I can say is I did. And life has never been the same. And you have reason to doubt. You have reason to distrust because of what humans have done to you. But God is calling you home today. Thank you, Jesus. Church family, let's put our hands together for those who have accepted Christ today. And, um, and those friends who did, please come up afterwards. We'll have mates out here who have a present for you. They want to get you connected in to talk about the next journey, uh, next steps in your spiritual journey and to celebrate with you. Free coffees for you for a year. I don't care. Like it's <laughs> such good news, right? And for the rest of us, we're going to be singing this song. And as we sing this song, I want us to think about a U-turn that we might need to make. Because if you're going to a destination and it says dead end, hey, you're going down a wrong way. You've got to do a U-turn. Some of us need to repent. Repent just means do a U-turn. Some of us have been a bit whatever. Yeah, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Some of us have been legalists. Some of us are holy molies. And we love you, but you've been a pain. <laughs> and some of us, friends, are freebies. And all of us have had a wrong understanding. We've taken a little sip, maybe from a few different mugs of poisoned cocoa. We've got a chance as we sing this song to repent so that we can be freed to walk out following Jesus. There is no higher name. Jesus reigns above it all. 
And you know, uh, my wife and I have got these mates who grew up in a cult. And um, they left the cults very hard. I was talking with a young man between services I mentioned. To leave a cult takes a lot of bravery. Your whole worldview is inverted. All your social network's gone. Your family disowns you. It's fully hard. They're walking down a street, lonely. And they came to our, our church, and they came in the back. They sat right near the back. And they heard the gospel that Jesus died for them on the cross, that he rose again from the dead, that he's victorious. And they just wept. They couldn't stop weeping. And these are even still today, 20 years later, some of the most joy-filled, spirit-filled, wonderful folks. So friends, it's a question for us as we go from this place. When did we last weep for Jesus? When did we last dwell on the gospel? Because if it's been a while, hey, let's come back to him. Friends, may you this week be blessed to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this awful week. This horrible week where the world is on fire and yet you carry this hope within you. May you be blessed even as you bless others. May you carry that hope forward as a burning torch in the night showing others away to Jesus. I love you, church. See you soon.